Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode... Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. I'm Barry Watts from the Wealthcare Corporation, where we do tax strategy design work for United States citizens. And today, I want to talk about the three ways to protect your hard-earned money from taxes. Now, tax season is over, so your accountant, whoever that person is, is probably not in the office and not answering the phone. But since tax season is behind us, I thought we'd uh, play a little loose today, pay a little tribute to accountants with uh, some riffs that might be humorous for you. Hey, Patrice, do you know why accountants are so good looking? No, Barry, why are accountants so good looking? Because they have great figures. But a bum. Do you know where homeless CPAs live? Oh, no, Barry. I don't know where homeless CPAs live. In tax shelters. Oh, but dumb bum. And finally, Patrice, do you know what accountant spouses say in order to fall asleep when they have insomnia? <laughs> this one I think I might know. Sweetie, tell me about your job. That's it. That's it. And so we have an expert here with us today who can address things like this. He he can tell us about his job. And he does have a great figure. I'll tell you, he's kind of a, uh, I don't know, Schwarzenegger-esque he-man, so to speak. His name is Phil Brown. Phil is a CPA. He is in practice uh, here in our company, uh, works with the uh, tax planning side of our company called uh, SavingYouTaxes.com. And so, Phil, we're glad to welcome you to the podcast today. Well, thank you, Barry. Glad to have a little time to share with you guys. Yeah, we're tickled that you're here. I think you'll uh, shed some interesting light on a number of things. Tell us a little bit about you as we get started. You've got a long and sordid history in tax. Yes, I have. I started my career with the IRS as a uh, trainee, where I went to school and worked my way through to become a revenue agent and work with them for about 10 years. And after that, I figured that I would actually like to do something in tax where people liked me. So I switched over to private practice and I've been doing specializing taxes for probably about 25 years or so now. Excellent. So you were an IRS revenue agent at one point. In your yes, life. I was. I don't know what a revenue agent is, but down in the Ozark Hills where I grew up, we do have uh, negative songs we sing about revenue. It's along the same line. Yeah, because they were there to get the whole <laughs> problem with the bootleggers is they weren't paying the tax on their whiskey. And so the revenues would come to demand the tax. I guess that was exactly the same thing. Did you ever actually uh, try to collect taxes from any bootleggers that you knew? Of? No, I'm not. Uh, my job was not to collect the tax. It was to what they say, assess the tax. Well, I went and told them how much they owed. And I left it to somebody else to go down and actually try to collect it. So because this is government, we couldn't have one guy just do the work while he's there. You had to go figure out how much they owed and tell him, and then somebody else comes to receive the money. Absolutely. Oh, that's wonderful. I'm glad to hear it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wasn't there a supervisor there at the same time? (laughs) (laughs) There's always a supervisor in the government. So yes, but uh, those were actually two different departments. We had uh, revenue agents, and then we had collection officers. Those were the actual revenuers that people would actually 
actually have to meet with to set up how to pay their taxes. You know, Patrice, while we're making fun of government folks, I need to tell you a little story. I did something okay. yesterday that was kind of fun. You know that my partner in our company is running for Congress, uh, Eric Burleson. If you're in the 7th District of Missouri, please be sure you vote for Eric Burleson because he is the guy that you want. But probably none of the listeners are in the 7th District. I don't know. Uh, but I went up yesterday to the state capitol in Jefferson City and uh, sat in on a legislative session and was with Eric for several hours there uh, where he serves in the state Senate currently. And it was just an incredibly uh, interesting time. The very first thing we did is Senator Burleson walked me in on the floor, actually, of the House of Representatives. And uh, the funny thing about it was, in Missouri at least, the state House of Representatives is like going to a big fraternity party. It is raucous. <laughs> There were people coming and people going and people shouting and carrying on and little clusters of people having conversation. All the while, there's a guy up on the dais pounding the gavel and calling things to order and reading bills and doing all the stuff they're doing, calling for votes and so forth. It was just, it was really kind of a riot. And I really enjoyed being there. And as actually, as we left, Eric, who previously had served in the, uh, the house, commented on, oh, how much fun it is over in the House. He said, you'll see when we get to the Senate side. And so later in the day, the Senate came into uh, session. Of course, they do that. Like the House goes into session at nine. The Senate goes into session at 1130 or something, because I don't know, maybe they're all old and they can't get there any earlier. Because they're senators, like they can do that. Yeah, so that's exactly right. And that is why it is, because we're senators. And so we go into the Senate. We're, we, he escorts my wife and me in. And we sit down on the floor. We're not sitting like where the senators sit. We're sitting over on a, a, a church pew, basically, over on the side, watching it all go down. But it was like being in a funeral. It was, it was, it was just a nasty, no fun kind of place. But these guys are kind of nasty to each other, and they were sticking digs at each other. In fact, a, a funny thing happened. There was a senator presiding at that moment who didn't particularly care for Senator Burleson. And because Senator Burleson was sitting over on the side whispering at us, he pounded the gavel and shouted Ooh. with fury about how the senators needed to pay attention and take their conversations outside. And Eric grinned and said, that was for me. <laughs> so... <laughs> so it was a crazy experience. We had a good time. My wife got introduced on the floor of the Missouri State Senate. And we, uh, after it was all over, we got to climb the dome, not on the outside, not oh, King Kong-ish, you know, not with ropes and stuff like that. But we got to climb through the inside superstructure of the dome, the stuff that people don't see. And it is a heck of a climb in on a basically, it's not a, exactly a spiral staircase because that is real tight, although there was one section that was that way. We just climbed the structure between the beauty that you see when you're in the dome looking up and the outside of the dome where the weather hits, we were in that space. Yeah. So we're walking up the side of the dome and uh, boy, it got pretty high up there. Uh, I wasn't perfectly comfortable, but I wanted to do it because there I was, and it was probably my last chance because Senator Burleson will soon become Congressman Burleson, and I won't have the chance to uh, be escorted around the Capitol anymore. But now, wait a minute. Doesn't a congressman trump a senator, a state senator? And he well, can take well, up that dome anytime he wanted. Wait, different domes. I was in the Missouri Capitol, <laughs> and he'll be going to the, he'll be going to the uh, Capitol in Washington. But I have a cousin who is a Capitol police officer, and she gives the oh, inside wow. tours there. And so, frankly, uh, I was just in D.C. You didn't tell me this. Eh, sorry, yeah. I didn't know. I heard you were in D.C. What were you doing? Just having fun? No, visiting family. Visiting my oh. grandson, my son, my daughter-in-law. 
Well, very interesting. So they I live like in the rat race, really. They're in, they they're do. trapped. They do. They live in the Adams Morgan section. Very, very historic. Okay. Well, isn't that interesting? Huh. What's this have to do with taxes, Phil? Absolutely nothing. <laughs> okay. No, well, no, no. Let's everybody, get everybody in DC doesn't. Oh no, it does definitely in DC. They don't have any representation, and their license plates say no representation, no taxation without representation. Well, there you go. There's your taxes. Well, they could all move to Virginia or Maryland if they wanted to. <laughs> Most of them I've already had. <laughs> all right. So today we are going to talk tax because this is the truth about taxes and retirement. And specifically, we're going to talk about some ways, I think three of them, if we have enough time, some ways to protect your hard-earned money from taxes. And uh, I'm excited about digging into this uh, because my experience is that taxes are designed for you to lose. And that's not why we as business owners come to play the game or as just citizens come to play the game is so more can be siphoned and vacuumed out of our pockets. And so we want to talk today about what you can do that prevents some of that. You know, the Wall Street Journal uh, recently had an article that indicated over half of the federal government's revenue comes directly from personal income taxes. Not from any other kind of tax, not from a corporate tax, but from personal income taxes. Now, other developing nations around the world pay only about a third of their personal, only about a third of the tax that's collected makes up the nation's uh, funding. So here in the United States, we're paying uh, substantially more in personal income taxes than in other countries as it relates to the amount of funding the government got. I didn't say any of that very uh, articulately, but hopefully I mashed it around enough for you to figure it out. Phil, were you with me? I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Okay, yeah, that's no good. Problem. So so here's my question about that. It's kind of interesting because I was in the Capitol yesterday. Patrice just came back from Washington, D.C., and Phil is originally from Springfield, Illinois, the capital of Illinois, where they know how to collect taxes and deviously put them in politicians' pockets. <laughs> It's Any a, comments about that? It's an art form. I mean, okay. Well, so so the, the, the question I've got is how is it that we living in the free world? Uh, really, uh, as free world citizens, we're more deserving of more taxation and more restrictions on our income and more withholdings on our income than developing nations experience. How can that possibly be true? Well, the point is, it is true. And there are perhaps a lot of reasons for what we may touch on some of them today, but mostly what we want to do is get into some ways that you can avoid tax. Now, I was teaching a class over at Missouri State University, and there was a student in my class. We were in the basic economics section, and we're talking about taxes. And I was explaining to them the tax benefits of owning real estate, because, you know, people who own investment real estate get some special tax breaks along the way. And there's this kid in the class named Mark. Mark had a question. Yes, Mark, what is your question? And after I'd explained all the ways that you could defer and avoid tax through real estate, reduce your tax bill through real estate, Mark says, isn't it wrong to reduce taxes like that? Isn't that just stealing from the government? Isn't it our duty to pay taxes? And I, unfortunately, Mark, I think, I don't know if he's been released from the hospital yet because I jumped on him with both feet. I didn't mean to be that aggressive. But that's the lie that many Americans and actually many taxpayers believe. We've been conditioned to think that it is unpatriotic to avoid taxes. And in fact, in the early part of the last century, there was a federal judge named Learned Hand. Isn't that a cool name? Learned Hand. 
I suppose it would only be cooler if your name were Learned Brain. But he was Learned <laughs> Hand. And uh, federal judge Learned Hand said this. Listen to what he says. Really interesting. He said, <clears throat> anyone may so arrange his affairs that his taxes shall be as low as possible. He is not bound to choose that pattern, which will best pay the treasury. There is not even a patriotic duty to increase one's taxes. There is not a patriotic duty to increase one's taxes. Now, here's something that I think is really interesting about Judge Learned Dan. He was a Democrat. And that doesn't sound like the Democrats of today up in Washington, does it, Patrice? Yeah, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'm just in D.C., that's all I can say. Well, apparently being a Democrat meant something different in Learned Hand's day than it means today, uh, where it seems that if you're a real citizen, you would just voluntarily uh, open your checkbook up and let the government siphon every last dollar out of it. So, so we want to help you today figure out some ways that you can avoid taxes. By the way, Phil, do you know the difference? Now, you're a tax guy, a revenuer, so to speak. You used to be before you got righteous. Um, so you ought to know the difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance. Do you know what it is? Well, I have my de definition of what it is. Tax evasion is where you are intentionally uh, doing transactions to avoid paying taxes on that particular Oh, Phil. Oh, Phil. Tax avoidance is you, where you are legally using the code to avoid. You don't really get the taxes. theme of this show, do you? I guess not. This is more humor. This is humor. It's all about laughter. So uh, I know that was all technically correct, but right. let me tell you the difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance. Okay. Well, see, I, I'm your straight man. So well, yeah, and you're doing good on the straight man part. <laughs> the difference between tax evasion and tax avoidance is about 20 years. Oh, okay. I thought there would be more roar from the crowd, but I guess uh, we are in just a studio with Patrice. Three. We need your rim shot right now. Uh, I, but I'm bum. But sometimes I, I, Patrice has a rim shot queued up for me. She just doesn't I know, have if it. I had, uh, if I'd known, I would have had it for you. So the difference between evasion and avoidance is about 20 years. Now tell us again, because I interrupted you and you were giving us a very scholarly and accurate definition. Just punch it out there. Tell us what the difference is between avoidance and evasion. Avoidance is legally using techniques to lower your taxes. Evasion is doing things which are specifically not allowed in the code to avoid paying tax. So avoidance, which one of those is legitimate then? Avoidance or evasion? Avoidance is legitimate. Avoidance is legitimate. So we should do avoidance when we can. Every chance we get, yes. There you go. There You heard it right there from a CPA. He said you should do tax avoidance every chance you get. Now tell me this, Mr. CPA man. It seems in my experience, and don't let me say something that's not true, but it seems in my experience that most CPAs are not really tax avoidance driven. They're mostly tax return preparation driven in my experience. Can you speak to that at all? I would say as a general population, tax preparers are more like additional agents for the IRS. <laughs> they, uh, uh, there's, a, there's a real fear of overstepping boundaries and pushing boundaries. So yes, they're very conservative in how they approach. Where, where does that fear come from? Do you have any idea? I, I always attribute it just simply to a personal um, inclination, just, you know, CPAs, accountants, we're not necessarily extroverts or aggressive people. So we- Almost of, a personality trait. Yes. Hmm. Very interesting. 
Well, here's the truth about taxes, folks. Taxes are not primarily a duty. They're not primarily responsibility, though we do have a duty to pay them and a responsibility to pay them. Taxes are primarily a burden. And unfortunately, one of the things that's built that burden for us is uh, corruption at, in government, corruption and back, bad backdoor political agreements. And those political agreements that are made in Washington will just fry your brain. I sat you know, in, on the floor of the Senate in, in Missouri yesterday and listened to some of it go on. And it was so convoluted. And finally, my wife leans over to me and she said, look, if you want me to stay here much longer, I'm going to need a blanket and a pillow. <laughs> Um, because all these guys were negotiating back and forth and wrangling out these things. And all of those things go into creating more and more and more pages of regulations and tax regulations. A funny thing yesterday, in fact, while we were in Jefferson City, um, I, I commented to my wife that, you know, the legislature in Missouri is in session from like the first week of January through the middle of uh, May. But some states have legislatures that only meet every other year. Um, and my wife kind of bristled at that. She's like, well, that wouldn't be good. They should meet every year. And I'm like, no, no, they shouldn't meet every year. She said, yes, they should. That's what we're paying for. They should work. And I'm like, no, no, no. This is one place that you don't want them to work because every time they get together, they make up more rules and more regulations that are a burden to the citizenry. So really, legislators that just don't get anything done are kind of our friend. In fact, I have other friends in politics who tell me that uh, really success is uh, just getting Washington into gridlock so nothing can change. And that's a terrible shame. Um, but uh, it is the way it works. In fact, I had another person yesterday tell me something similar to that. So here's the deal. There's 70,000 pages of regulations that are called the Internal Revenue Code. And the government can change that code and bend that code and manipulate that code in the way that it wants to the governor's, to the government's best interest and to beef up the government's bottom line when the government needs to. Now, the good news in all of that is this. There are laws, and some of those laws work to the taxpayer's advantage. And if the government can bend and manipulate the code to their advantage, then we, the citizens, can take the established laws written in black ink on white paper and use those laws to our advantage in the practice of legal tax avoidance. What do you say about that, Mr. CPA man? That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Well, so we're going to talk about three ways to do it. You didn't have any idea because I didn't, I didn't tell you what we were going to talk about today, but you've already tipped off one of the three ways. Okay. Here's the first way to uh, protect your hard-earned income. Number one, avoid government tax advisors like the plague. Avoid government tax advisors. Now, you mentioned a moment ago that some tax preparers, what was it you said about them? Uh, I said that they're just like additional agents for the IRS. Yeah, so some tax preparers, the person who's preparing your tax return, dear listener, is behaving like another agent for the IRS. <laughs> because what Phil was talking about, that fear thing, perhaps nothing, if nothing more. Um, since the dawn of civilization, society has really dreaded one person more than any other. And it wasn't the criminal like the murderer. No, no, no. It was the tax collector. Tax collectors were always spoken of in a negative tone. 
And you remember, Phil, because I know you grew up in churches. I grew up in church, and we we heard these stories. They used to they used to read to us Bible stories about Jesus and how he was a friend with the sinners and the tax collectors. And so the tax collectors were were these in my childhood. They were these mythical bad people. Now I had a problem with that. You know what the problem was? What's that? My grandpa was the county tax collector. Okay. He was the collector of revenue in Stone County, Missouri, down on the Arkansas line. And so I was always confused because I knew grandpa worked on the county courthouse square on the second floor in the tax collector's office. And yet we were on the county square, just off of the courthouse area, sitting in the little church on the corner there, hearing about how bad tax collectors were. <laughs> So for a little boy growing up, that was really a kind of a, a brain thing we didn't understand. Now, of course, what I've learned in more recent years is the problem with tax collectors, at least in Bible times, was that the tax collector got paid on a commission. Yeah. And so he had to pay Rome so much for every person in his census area. And however much he could collect beyond that, he got to put in his pocket. So the tax collector kind of became an extortion expert. Now, that's not true anymore, I don't think. The, the, the federal government doesn't pay their collectors uh, a bounty, do they? Or do they, Phil? Tell me. To my knowledge, there is no official bounty for tax collection. No official bounty. No. Hmm. Is there anything unofficial, like a trip to Vegas for the weekend or something like that? No, but uh, unofficially, your standing or your position for promotion and things like that although not official, was unofficially based on how proficient you were at assessing and collecting tax. So uh, as a revenuer, if you could find more missed taxes and ding people more, then you got to move up in the food chain a little bit and get a little higher raise when it's all That's right. You were looked at with more uh, favor than the others. Well, so if the tax man in Washington or in Jefferson City is against me, the local IRS revenue person like you used to be before you got righteous, Right. If that guy's against me, and if my own tax preparer functions as a government revenue agent, really, because they're afraid, then how am I ever going to survive that? How do I ever get out from under that? Well, the only way is you have to have the strength of character and the knowledge to say, hey, wait, stop, that's not right. Because your tax preparer, your CPA, should be taking action to protect you before they worry about protecting themselves. They need to be protecting your income and they need to be willing to push on the tax code where it allows us to push legally and push the tax code to its extreme and say, no, don't push it over the edge. Don't push it where we get in trouble. That's tax evasion, but push it as far as you can legally go and say, we ought to take these deductions. Correct. So the tax code's really hard to navigate, 70,000 pages, chock full of complexities that are of benefit to the taxpayer. You know, there's new and different deductions and there's child care and education credits. And Phil, I'm going to ask you what your favorite tax, uh, your favorite tax deduction is here in just a moment, because I know there are so many of them. For example, if you're a business owner, there's actually a way for you to build a swimming pool at your house and deduct the expense legitimately and legally. There are ways to pay your kids from your business and legitimately deduct that expense so that then your kids' expenses for horseback riding lessons and camp and, and school clothing and orthodontia and whatever are all paid by the kids in dollars that were, were pre-tax for you. 
not post-tax. See, right now you're you're paying all the kids' expense with your money out of your pocket after you've paid the taxes on it. Well, you could do it with money out of your business before you've paid the taxes on it, if you follow the legitimate ways to do that. And then the kids won't have to pay taxes at all if they make under 12,000, what's the number, Phil? Uh, 12,400, I believe. $12,400, yeah. Um, and so so that's a beautiful opportunity. What are What's your favorite deduction that, that maybe something special you see people miss you don't think about from time to time, Phil? I really have never thought of it that way. I would probably say... Uh, home office expenses is one of the big deductions that people don't take advantage of. Well, I've always heard if you take the home office expense, that that's a red flag and it'll, uh, people, they'll audit you if you have the home office expense. Well, it's commonly thought of as a red flag. And if you're an auditor and you see a home office expense deduction, you are going to address it just to make sure that the uh, taxpayer is complying with the technicalities of the law, which can trip you up if you don't pay attention to what you're doing. Well, let's face it, the average person who has a home office expense, the probably the whole total home office expense is two or three or four thousand dollars. Yeah. And the tax on two or three or four thousand dollars is you know five, six hundred bucks, something like that, maybe. Um, so the IRS revenue agent can't spend very much time on that. True. But it's not it's not difficult to uh, refute the deduction if the taxpayer has not done their homework and taken care of all the steps to make it proper documentation. Yes. Yeah, there you go. All right. So, so the big message is the tax laws have benefits for you that you should use and you should avoid government tax advisors. In other words, you just need to be sure that your tax advisor is working on your behalf and willing to work on your behalf and willing to push it on your behalf instead of uh, being one of those persons who just always knuckles under to the government meekly because we wouldn't we wouldn't want them to ask us a question about our tax return. Sure, we don't mind them asking a question as long as we know that our deduction is legitimate and that we've done the right thing. Bring your question on. But you know what? <laughs> they learn. They First of all, they know what's legitimate and what's not. And secondly, they learn, I bet, who in your world, Phil, the tax preparation world, prepares them correctly and who doesn't and who's documented correctly and who's not. And they know when they've got a, a, a target <laughs> that they can probably wring some money out of and probably know when they can't. Right. Um, over the time, you kind of get a feel for who prepares returns in compliance and who is maybe a little shaky. And you can pull a return and see who signed off on it as prepare and kind of know whether you've got an easy day or may have a little work to do. That's interesting. So, so in the, in the IRS world, did you ever just say, well, Bob Smith over here, he's a real lousy preparer. We can always get some more out of his people. So we're, we're just going to pull up all Bob's people and just kind of audit them. Did you ever do it that way? I had not done it personally, but as the organization, they would look at a prepare and do what they call a project on them because over the course of time, they've had a lot of issues with them. So they just say, let's just grab a bunch of their returns and just start working. So you keep auditing people who all use the same preparer and they all owe more tax. You figure that uh, maybe you found a honey hole. That's what we call it. When we go fishing, that'd be a honey hole, you know? Exactly. And so you just park the boat right there over the honey hole and just drop in more lines. That's right. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Let's, let's talk about something else. All right. Let's talk about another way that you can reduce your income taxes and, and specifically as a business owner, I like to say business owners can have their cake and eat it 
two. You know, one of the things that's, that's really popular now is if you're a business owner is to set your company up as an LLC, a limited liability company, uh, because it's tremendously easy to do. In fact, my wife just yesterday, we, as we were driving up to Jefferson City, I had a great day yesterday, by the way. Can you tell? Yeah. Patrice has never heard me talk this much about my previous day, <laughs> but I was with my wife. She drove. I got to ride along and visit and work. And as we were driving up through there, she was asking me questions about LLCs. She said, now we, we had an LLC, but now we have something different. What is it? Well, we've got LLCs and we've got a C-Corp. And so she was asking why that was and how that was and so forth. And then much to my surprise yesterday, while I was in Jefferson City, I wound up in a surprise meeting. I didn't know was going to happen with the person in Jefferson City who supervises the establishment of all business entities in the state of the Missouri. So when you go to register a corporation or a limited liability company or something, this is the guy who is the head of all the people who do that kind of work. And I was with him for upwards of an hour yesterday, okay. just humorously enough. Boy, my days are exciting, aren't they? You know, some people want to be with Super Bowl champions or, or uh, Luke Bryan wants to be with Bill Dance. My country music fans will get that joke yes, because there's a song out about uh, Bill Dance, the guy in the Tennessee hat. He's a professional fisherman, and Luke Bryan wanted to be nothing but him. Yeah. Have you heard that song? No, I haven't. I didn't think you'd heard that oh, song. Go singing it, okay? No, I can't actually <laughs> sing it, but if my wife was here, she could. All I know is over and over, it just the line comes back to Bill Dance, Bill Dance. And so my wife goes around the house humming, and every once in a while she'll mutter out the words Bill Dance. <laughs> so here we are on the truth about taxes and retirement, talking about a professional fisherman from Tennessee named Bill Dance and Luke Bryan, the country music star. What has our podcast deteriorated to? No, 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 not deteriorated, just it's enhanced. Okay. We're well, taking a different path. We take different paths almost on every podcast. So, so when it comes to figuring out what the right business entity is for you, I believe that ought to be driven by an understanding of your taxable income and by the impact on your income taxes, because you could be using an entity structure that is costing you in taxes. In fact, just last week, my phone rings and it's a guy I haven't heard from in over a year. He's an investment professional in Cleveland, Ohio. And he called me and he said, Hey, Barry, I've been listening to your podcast. I didn't know you could do. And he went on to talk about something a few podcasts back for business owners. And he said, I've got a business owner who's getting ready to sell his business. And I think he could use that strategy. Maybe you and I could work together to help him. Well, lo and behold, guess what? Maybe we could, yeah. because that's why we do the truth about taxes and retirement. That's what the podcast is all about. So I just thought it was interesting. This guy who's in his seventies, who, um, you know, I can say that because uh, I'm in my fifties still, I'm going to milk that for all it's worth. Yeah. This guy's been around a long, long time. I mean, he's a professional. He's done a lot of stuff, owns a really big company. But he called me and said, hey, I was listening to your podcast. And I learned something I didn't know. I'm like, how could you not know that? Well, he didn't know that his business owner's entity structure was going to lessen the amount of money that the business owner would walk away with when he sold it. So choosing the right entity structure and the right filing status for that entity structure will maximize the tax savings that are possible. Now, by default, a limited liability company, that's the LLC thing, is usually set up as a sole proprietor, which is the highest tax 
and highest audited entity. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself there because it's considered a pass-through entity. Everything that happens in the LLC, your business, if you're a sole proprietor, just passes through to you as the taxpayer. And so the business itself doesn't pay any taxes on its profits. Instead, all the profits are passed through to the owners, the member, that's you, and they're reported on your individual returns. Did I get that right? That is correct. All right. And that could put us, if, we're, if our business is successful, and we hope it is, could put us in the top tax bracket. And the top federal tax bracket right now is? 35%. Isn't it 37? 37. 37, yes. Yeah. Okay. Just checking. Sorry. I was just testing you on that. Uh, What's the top bracket in the United States state-wise? Do you know? I do not know. I believe that that'll be California at 13 or 13 and a half percent, if I'm correct. But you put that on top of 37%. Let me just do a little math. Hang on. I'll have to get my calculator out for this. <laughs> 37 plus 13, I think that's 50%. That's right. 50% that went to support the government. Friends, I don't know what kind of government you got, but I can tell you this. It's not worth 50%. It's not worth 50%. So there needs to be a better way. Now, sometimes people use a technique that I use because one of the companies that I have is actually a C corporation. And a C corporation has a different tax filing status and it must submit a tax return and pay income on its profits alone, separate from its shareholders. And I'm a shareholder in my own C corp, but my C corp pays all those taxes. Now, sometimes people don't like that because they say, well, a C-Corp will lead to double taxation. Explain to me, Phil, about this double taxation thing, how that works. Well, the C-Corp is a separate entity, pays its own taxes, and any profits that are distributed to the shareholders, either in the forms of dividends or wages or whatever, are also paid, taxes are paid on those. And if you liquidate the corporation or whatever, you pay taxes on it. Again, mm -hmm. so the way double taxation works then is then the corporation pays taxes at its level and then whatever gets passed through to the shareholders of the corporation, they pay taxes at their level. Therefore, it's double taxed. Correct. But but now try this one out, Mr. CPA friend. Try this out. If you own a corporation organized as a C Corp, indeed, it'll have to pay taxes at its own level. But anything that comes through to you in the form of payroll or bonus won't be taxed at the corporate level. It'll only be taxed to you personally. Correct. So you get the choice to decide whether to leave money in the corporation and have it taxed at the corporate level or to take that money out of the corporation and have it taxed at the personal level. Now, in my situation, the reason we leave it in the corporation to be taxed at the corporate level is because the corporate tax right now is what rate? 21%. 21%. 21 is better than 37. I can do that yes. kind of math. Yes. So it's taxed at the 21% rate. And what we do then is we leave money in the corporation to pay the expenses that are coming up the next year in the future year. And that way, that money we left in only got taxed at 21% instead of being taxed at my personal rate of 37% and then trying to pay the corporate bills out of it after I'd taken the money out and paid a 37% tax. Correct. So that's an important way to know that you can use those. The big message here is that a pass-through entity, the easy one, the LLC, is not always the most beneficial. So you should be talking with your tax advisor. You should be talking with your accountant. Surely they've told you all of this stuff. And if they haven't told you these things, then chances are their decisions have them effectively working for the government.
<laughs> they're a government advisor instead of your advisor. And so this idea of entity and taxation, something you can adjust yourself. You can make it however you want and need it to be. You should do that with good counsel from tax strategists like ourselves or someone else who you trust to give you that advice. Many people often will start at, as an LLC because it's easy and they only file one return. But be aware that return has a higher risk of audit. And then they change to an S-corp later, often to reduce the amount of self-employment tax. So the big message here is the power is in your hands and you have to manage your entity selection and the way your entity is taxed. Agreed with that? Agreed. Okay, Patrice, do you agree with that? Absolutely. All right, we're on the right page. We're coming in for the home stretch here. Now we're going to talk about the third thing to do to protect your hard-earned money from taxes. And it's simply this. Don't be afraid of an audit. Don't be afraid of an audit. Now, Phil and I have a client in common. And this client comes from the upper Midwest part of the United States. And this client came to us for tax strategy work. We've done a bang up job for them, I think. And they have done all the right things on their side because they've taken our advice and done the things that we told them to do. The wife leads this family a little more in terms of these things than the husband. He's a bit cautious. And so it came down here to the last tax season, which ended on April 18th. And on that day, there was a one little thing still missing from their tax return. And there was great fear that they weren't going to have their return filed on time. We weren't going to make the deadline for April 18th. And Phil, what did you tell them about that? Well, basically, I told them that if we didn't get it on the 18th, we could file an extension of time that would give us more room to be able to accomplish the transaction so that it could be done and done properly. Well, I but I wouldn't want to file an extension because I've heard that those extensions, those can raise red flags. And that's a general conception of a lot of people. But in my, my, my opinion, it's it's a myth. It is a myth. It is a myth. It's just like the Easter bunny. It's in Santa Claus. No, no, oh, it's no. Not. <laughs> I was worried about you, Phil, but apparently it was Patrice that that was going to shock. Because just like I don't believe in the Easter bunny, the tooth fairy and, and Santa Claus, they're myths. The, the fact that you delay the filing of your taxes through a properly filed extension, it's a myth that that will cause you to be subject to higher scrutiny. So you need to bury in your mind the idea that there is no identifiable link between people who do proactive tax planning and between people who file extensions, often as a part of their proactive tax planning, and people who are flagged for an audit. In fact, the opposite can be true. Proper planning can prevent audits. For example, I looked this statistic up just this week. A sole proprietor is nine times more likely to get audited than an S corporation owner. Nine times more likely as a sole proprietor. So entity planning, back on our previous point, really matters, makes a big difference. So let's talk about uh, what increases your chance of uh, an audit. What would you say, Phil, is the number one thing that increases your chance of audit? Well, on your sheet here, it says being a sole proprietor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Phil, they thought you were just rattling all this off of your head. And now they know that you've got cheat notes and it just your credibility just went totally out the door with that. Any true professional always has cheat notes. Okay, just opinion. checking with you. So, yeah, being a sole proprietorship, 
is because sole proprietors are nine times more likely to be audited than S corporations. So being a sole proprietor increases your chance of being audited. Earning above a certain level, we like to say six figures, will increase your chance of being audited, particularly if you're a sole proprietor. Taking the earned income tax credit will increase your chance of being audited, which I think is absolutely hilarious because earned income tax credit is for poor people. Why would you, if you're trying the revenue trying to move up in the IRS world, why would you bother uh, auditing poor people? That doesn't make sense. Well, that's, that's a caveat because if you're taking the earned income tax credit on two or three children, you're not a target. If you're taking it on eight to 10 children, that's where the red flag would come up. You, so like if you're the Duger family down in Northwest Arkansas that have got what, 18 and counting or yeah. whatever that is, that's going to be a problem. You, you need to have all your documents in a row. You know, I don't know those folks, but I know people who know those folks. We, we operate kind of in the same space down here. Yeah. You probably know some people who know them too, if I were guessing probably. based on knowing where you go to church and all that. Man, 18 kids, my goodness, I just can't even begin to get my brain around that. Ah, I wonder if they took the earned income credit. Maybe we should have Jim Bob on and say, Jim Bob, <laughs> we want to talk about income taxes related to kids. That could be interesting. Well, it is. I actually have a client that has eight children. And uh, yeah, those earned income tax credits and child credits, they pile up pretty quickly. What, what else would you say is one of the things that just causes you to get audited? It's like, this is one of the things that really could be a trigger. A lot of times it's businesses that have sustained and continual losses without any particular reason. You mean like uh, USA Today, which was unprofitable for 10 years before it finally turned a profit and paid a tax the first time? Yeah, but more like uh, a like an auto mechanic or something like that, that never seems to turn a profit. What, what about a Patrice? He doesn't know that our normal illustration Bob, is Bob. Yeah. That's right. Bob's bait and tackle and muffler repair. That, yeah. Bob's not turning a profit. That kind of raises up. I don't know. Have you been around the bait and tackle and muffler shop much? It doesn't look very prosperous to me most of the time. So, I, I've got a question so, here, Barry. i got a question. Yeah. You filed your, your returns. You think everything is cool. How long does the government have? Is there a drop dead time for them to come back and say, Oh, we're going to do an audit here. Three years from the date that the return is due. So right now, April 18th, 2022, we file a return. April 18th, 2025 is the last date that they can assess tax without asking you to extend that time frame. They have to ask you to extend that time frame. Well, if they're under, if you're under audit and they need extra time, they might come to you and say, "Hey, we need more time to resolve this." Oh, most really? Let me let me help you with that. Let me be your <laughs> lawyer for a minute. The answer is no. <laughs> We're not extending the time frame. Well, that's the general answer, but sometimes you may be entitled to an additional refund or something like that, and you might need to do it. So. But generally, it's three years. Unless, unless they discover something in that three-year period of time that was fraudulent. Correct. And then they can dig back as far as they want to, pretty much. Is Correct. that right? Correct. Now, now, define fraudulent. How, would, how is something a mistake versus a fraudulent thing? Intent, primarily. 
Well, how can we know your intent? Because because even if you're the biggest fraudster in town, you're going to say, oh, I made a mistake. I'm so sorry. Well, also, there's like a dollar amount involved, too. Oh, is there? I didn't realize that. Yeah. Basically, uh, if they make a determination that this is fraudulent, which they have to do, then they can open it up. And then you can go back and argue about that and say, no, it's not fraudulent. Ultimately, a judge has to decide all these things. All right. So the big message here having to do with audits was let go of your irrational fears. Let go of your fear of audit. If you're doing things the right way and you do get audited and very few people do less than 1% get audited. If you do get audited and things are done the right way, you'll come through the audit, just skating totally clean. So let go of your irrational fear, start writing off that home office and house expense. It's not a red flag. And that hasn't been true since Al Gore invented the internet. Just follow the rules, but know the rules and know that there are rules that are beneficial for you and you should take advantage of those rules. Employ your spouse, employ your kids, free up cash that you've previously been paying in taxes and use that cash for your benefit, the benefit of your family. And, you know, one of the things that we do here in our practice at the Wealthcare Corporation is we guarantee our clients that whatever fee they pay us for tax planning will come to back to them twice in tax savings or they get their money back. So for example, let's say you brought in a business and we were going to charge $5,000 for tax planning. We guarantee that you'll get $10,000 in tax savings the first year and every year after that, or else we give you your money back, no charge. And you know what? We've never had to give the money back because we always are able to produce the tax savings. Uh, And if we couldn't produce the tax savings, we wouldn't have taken the engagement in the first place. So stop wasting your money by sending it to the federal government. Just stop it. You know that Bob Bob Newhart routine? Stop it. Stop it. Just stop it. He's being a psychologist and he's counseling this couple who are having all these problems and he just over and over says, stop it, stop it, stop it. Well, stop wasting money and sending it to the government. Recapture that money. Use it for your life, your family, your business. Phil, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Oh, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. It was fun for you to be here. We learned a lot from you and we're really grateful. And if you, my listener, are one of those people who says, hmm, these ideas sound helpful. Well, you just need to know that at the Wealthcare Corporation, we got a ton of those ideas and they are all yours just for the asking and the payment of a small fee, of course. <laughs> so if you'd like to talk tax saving strategies, just go on over to our newly minted website. We just refreshed it. It's wealthcarecorp.com, wealthcarecorp.com. And there you will find a veritable plethora of ways you can get in touch with us. There's even a link that you can use to schedule an appointment on my personal calendar. And we'll have what we call an introductory visit to determine what it is that you need and want and whether or not we actually can help you. So scoot on over to wealthcarecorp.com and find yourself a time for a visit with me personally, and we'll get you taken care of. That's it for today. There's one final thing that I do want you to remember. When it comes to money and retirement, if you don't get the taxes right, nothing else matters. This podcast is a production of the WealthCare Corporation. The concepts discussed are for informational and educational purposes only and should not be implemented without first consulting with your own legal 
Tax and Investment Council. This has not been an offer to buy, sell, or invest in securities, and this information is to be taken as educational concepts and not as advice for you specifically. The lawyers like for us to remind you that all investment involves risk and you could lose money. Past performance is never a guarantee of future results. Tax strategy services are provided by American Tax Strategies, LLC. Investment advisory services are provided by Wealthcare Asset Management, LLC. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.